Y'all finally ready for summer? Yeah. It's like uh, we've been through like winter, spring, fake summer, back to winter, into fake spring, back into winter. It's like I think maybe we're finally at summer now. I'm not sure, but I think we're finally there. And uh, we've been kind of as a staff, we've been talking about how much we've been just been looking forward to this season of sort of kind of getting past the season we've been in for a long time. Uh, it's like we're moving into finally into sort of the summer of life, finally, where we can kind of get back to a, a, a different sense. I don't even want to say the word normal. Uh, but I remember last year, we, we thought when we first canceled our the first main event we had that we canceled was the Easter egg hunt. And we thought to ourselves, okay, that's all right. Maybe like Memorial Day, we'll like do like some like big celebration and kind of everybody come back together. And then Memorial Day came and went, and it just seemed like every single time we thought maybe we could come back together, it came and it went, and it came and it went, and it came and it went. And we've just been so looking forward to this time where we could finally come back together. That's why we're having the Aloha Summer coming up in just a couple weeks, just as we're looking forward to getting back there. And it just kept coming back to this verse in my mind, sort of the metaphor of this verse from Song of Songs. Now, if you know Song of Songs, it's a poetry, uh, or it's a poem or a poetry about uh, a romance between two people where they come together. And she says, you know, when, when they're sort of like getting in this in, engaged and you know, she's falling in love and she's finally found like the one, it's this thing she, she writes in, in Song of Songs, chapter two. It says, see, the winter has passed, the rains have gone, uh, the flowers now appear on the earth and the season of singing has come. And, and it just, it sort of felt like we've been in a really long, long winter like, you know, like winter where you're cooped up inside and you can't go anywhere and you can't do anything and it just feels like as if that season would never, ever, ever end. And if, and if you've been single for a long time, you, you know what she's talking about here, right? Or she's just like, it just seems like as if I was never going to get out of this state. It seems like it was never going to happen for me. It seems like it was never going to get there. And so she's just so excited about this new era, this new season that's coming in that she's about to move into. She sort of looks back and she says, see, it's like, finally, behold, look, wow, I can't believe this day has actually come. Like for those of you who are graduating right now, do you ever have that moment where you never thought graduation would ever come? Like, you'd always see people graduate every year, but you never thought, like, it just seemed like if school was like a never-ending thing. Like, you just, every year, you just went to another grade, and there was always another grade, and there was always another grade, and again, and again, and again. I remember, remember being at my graduation, thinking to myself, oh my gosh, it's over, finally. I never thought we'd ever get to the point where this season of life was, was over. And so she just says, you know, see, wow. I mean, I, it's, like, it's almost like I can't even... I can't believe this is really happening. I, I just like see, like, like, look at this. Oh my goodness. Winter is actually finally over. Like, did you ever think there'd be a day where you could go anywhere without a mask on? I mean, really, it got to the point, like, when this whole thing first started, it was kind of creepy and eerie when you saw people outside wearing masks. And then pretty soon, everybody would. Then you kind of wondered, is, is things, are things ever going to change? And so she's looking around. And she's like, you know, see, wow, the winter has passed. The rains have gone. And then she's like, flowers are beginning to appear on the earth. Um, I remember the very first year I experienced spring. I know that seems like a funny statement, but if you grew up in Florida, there's just summer. There's nothing else other than there's summer, there's rainy summer, and there's not as rainy summer, and then there's humid summer, and that's pretty much the seasons that you have. And I'll never forget my very first, I, I moved out of Florida, I moved to Birmingham in the winter, and I just, I didn't know it, I just I thought this is what this place looked like. I remember driving into work one day, and I was just like, I, I don't, don't judge me for this, but I, but I could identify with Julie Andrews like in that Sound of Music scene, 
where she's just like dancing out in the fields, and I come like into the office, and I'm like, oh my gosh. It was like, they had a, there was like, the road into work had all those Bradford pears, you know, like the, the beautiful, beautiful white, uh, and there was lilies all in the center thing, because those two bloom oftentimes about the same time. And so I'm driving into work, and the Bradford pear trees are like canopying the drive with brightly colored tulips on either side, and it seemed like as if it all happened overnight. And I walked in, I was like, oh my goodness. Have you guys seen outside in the color and the amazement and the beauty and the wonder? And this very cynical girl I worked with, she goes, yeah, it's called spring. Ever seen it before? I'm like, <laughs> and it, like, it dawned on me. I'm like, no, no, I haven't. This is amazing. I thought this place looked disgusting and awful and horrible. No offense to you people who lived here all your life, but I thought this place was just drab and gross, but Mao, it's amazing. This is wonderful. And so she's like, you know, the flowers appear on earth and the season of singing has come. That's that Julie Andrews moment where you're just like, the hills are flowing. <laughs> I am not about to try to sing that one. <laughs> For those of you who don't know who Julie Andrews was, like trying to sing her is like the equivalent of trying to sing Mariah Carey nowadays, right? You just, you don't go there. You don't try to, to, to belt that out. You just, you always end up looking embarrassed. And so as we were kind of talking about this sort of season that we're kind of moving into now, it just, it seemed like that word aloha, the Hawaiian word aloha, just seemed to summarize up kind of where we're at. Uh, if, if you know anything about aloha, it's, uh, it's used for hello and goodbye. And, and right now we're kind of in this moment where we're saying hello to a new season that's ahead, as well as saying goodbye to the one that's behind us. Uh, but it's also a word that communicates love. Uh, and it's, it's used for a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, the, the root, you know, sort of the, the, the etymology of the word aloha itself comes from alo, meaning presence, and ha, meaning breath of life, or the essence of life. So it's the presence of life, and it just seemed like this perfect picture of, of moving in, because we've all sort of are in this state where we're, there, there, there's some things we've had to say goodbye to, whether it be people we've loved, or friends along the way, or maybe job, or maybe money, <laughs> uh, whatever it may be, uh, you, there, there's, a, there's a, something that we've said goodbye to in this past year, but there's also something to say hello to as we move in and step into this new time. And this season of, of goodbye and hello and the cycle of it and the, the moving from, from what is in the past to this, this season that is to come and finally realizing that what's in the past is now gone and what is new is now come, it's a metaphor that you see throughout Scripture. This, this metaphor she talks about, the rains have gone and the new has come, uh, you see it played out over and over and over again in what God is trying to teach us about our life cycle and our relationship with Him. And, and you see this back over in Isaiah and the people are at this time where they're in captivity. And I'm just, I always give like a quick biblical history overview because I used to sit where you sit right now and the pastor would say stuff like, they were in captivity. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I, every once in a while, I'm just trying to drop like a little bit of biblical history. So if you, and I'm going to try to pick up somewhere like maybe like where you'd recognize the story. So like remember when Moses says, let my people go and they go out of, out of uh, Egypt, and they go through the, uh, the, the, the wilderness, uh, they part the Red Sea, they get the Ten Commandments, they move into the Promised Land, they're there for a while, some things are good, some things are bad, eventually they have a king, uh, his name's David, eventually after David, the kingdom splits in two, uh, and things just get really, really bad over a long period of time, and it gets so bad that God finally kind of puts him in like a spiritual timeout, if you will, where he says, okay, I'm taking you out of here, and they, they're for 70 years, they're in this timeout. So in the midst of that timeout period, that was called the captivity, uh, is what Isaiah is referencing here in Isaiah 43. And they're at a time where, it's, it's, it's a time where you just can't ever see things ever getting back to the way that they were. You with me on this? And, 
And God's looking and saying, listen, I don't want things to go back the way they were because they weren't good back then. And your good old days weren't as good as they, they seemed. And then the whole purpose of this time and this season is not to take you back to where you were, but it's a time for me to restore you, to renew you, and to bring you to a place where you've never been. I may take you back to the place you used to live, but I, but I don't want you to be the same person when you go back there. And so he's saying to them in Isaiah 43, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Now, for them, that was pretty important because for them, it was their sin that got them to this place. And they kind of had this wonder and this question like, could God ever forgive us? Could he ever do something in us again after what we've done and the mess that we've made of things? Like God had this vision, this picture that Israel would be like this shining beacon of the whole world that people would see God's relationship with this nation and go, I want some of that. I want to live in a relationship like that. I want our nation to look like that nation. I want our people to look like that people. I want to have the kind of relationship with God that brings about the kind of blessing these people have experienced. And let's face it, they blew it, majorly, to the point where they never became a beacon of hope, a, a light to the world a city on a hill that people could look to. They never became that. And so they, God kind of removes them from this place and they're wondering, will God ever restore us and ever want to use us ever again? So God comes and he says, can we just put the past in the past? Can we just put that behind us? He says, you know, he says forget the former things. You don't dwell in the past. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. I'm not going to go back and recreate the past. I'm doing something new. He says, even now it springs up. Can you not perceive it? And making a way in the wilderness, a streams in the wasteland. Now, what this tells each and each each of us as we read through this is, oftentimes you can't see what God is doing, even when He's doing it within your own life. He says, "Can you not perceive it?" And the answer oftentimes is, "No, no, I can't." It doesn't feel like as if I'm any different of a person. I started coming to church. Uh, I've made a decision to to follow you. I have a loving relationship with you now that I want to last for all eternity. But it doesn't feel any different. Like like. We're doing baptism tonight, so we're excited about baptism. That's why we're all wearing our, our, uh, our baptism shirts and got flip-flops on, ready to get out the beach. I love the fact that I can literally go from here right out to the beach and not even have to change shoes. That's wonderful about living at the beach. Uh, but sometimes when people talk about baptism, it's almost like as if they want to get baptized because they, they think there's going to be some sort of mystical moment where they like all of a sudden feel something. Like I've baptized people before, and they've, they come and they go, oh, I feel amazing, and I'm always kind of skeptical. I'm like, Really, because when I got baptized, I didn't feel amazing. I felt like it was kind of odd and ridiculous, honestly. It's just my own take. I may be ruining it for all of you. It's just I was in college at the time. I had just like, joined a fraternity, and it spent a whole semester being hazed. And then I wanted to join church, and like, the first thing they said is, we're going to haze you too because we're going to dunk you in front of everybody. It just seemed like as if you guys are no different than the fraternity. That's kinda, that was sort of my take on how I saw it at the time. Like... Everybody else is dry, and I'm the only person wet. This doesn't make any sense, and nobody looks good coming up out of the water, right? Every single one of you, if you bathed before you came, you dried off, and you did some stuff to yourself before you got here. I know you did. That's, that's why you all look nice the way that you do. And I just didn't like the whole idea of baptism at all. And so when sometimes, I mean, maybe it does happen. Maybe some of y'all have a mystic experience, and maybe you do feel completely different when you come up out of the water. Uh, I just didn't. I, I just felt like, well, okay. That's what you wanted me to do, I did it. It was just sort of an odd sort of moment. So maybe there was a mystical experience, I don't know. But so often with the new things that are happening, you don't perceive it, you don't even feel it. It doesn't feel like there's anything different. It just feels like another day, like did anything happen? And that's, that's sort of the, the, the process of how new things happen. And it's funny because 
even though we have every kind of evidence within nature that tells us that new things grow slowly and form over time and you don't even perceive when something new has begun, we somehow expect oftentimes for a spiritual experience to be like this mystical moment, like all this magic comes in, like this you know, charge of energy comes in, or that it's sort of like those... You ever, you ever go to church and you hear a testimony of somebody who has like that great I once was lost but now I'm found moment where like they were worshiping Satan and they were offering animal sacrifices and they were addicted to drugs and all, I mean, just, it just keeps going down and down and then all of a sudden like they were in an alley uh, uh, right there at gunpoint and right then they accepted Jesus as their savior and it's like Batman from the sky came down and changed everything and also their life is new and amazing and now they, 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 they look nice and they smell nice and they got great clothes and they're off. You ever had those moments, right? And you're like, wow, I want some of that Jesus because the one I got doesn't seem to be doing all that for me. <laughs> I know that, I'm sure that happens. It just, like, like, like when somebody becomes pregnant, you don't even know it, right? You have no clue for a while. Like it's been there, it's been there the whole time. You just, you just had no, no clue until, like it takes like at least a month or so and, and for some people it takes them all nine months and that's why, you've seen that show like... <laughs> You're like, how does this happen? But so for some, somewhere between one month and nine months, eventually you realize something new has happened, right? It, 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 eventually you realize something new has happened. And that's why God's saying, I'm doing something new in you, and it, can you not perceive it? And sometimes we would say, God, no, I, I don't perceive it. Because that's sort of, come back, focus back in, all right? Because that's the way new things happen. Sometimes you don't even realize something new has happened. And part of the reason why you don't realize something new has happened is because it seems like it's absolutely impossible. Like in here he says, uh, I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in a wasteland. Now, for us who don't live anywhere near a desert, uh, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us, uh, but you didn't go on a journey through a desert. There is no way through a desert. You don't walk through a desert. I was just, uh, Jewel is loving watching nature films right now, and so I'm sitting down watching nature with her, and so they were, we did this one on deserts, and it talked about how there's parts of the Sahara Desert that nobody's ever stepped foot on. Like, if you want to go somewhere that nobody's ever stepped foot, the Sahara Desert's available for you. Uh, nobody's ever walked through parts of the Sahara Desert. Why? Because you can't. It's just so remote and so desolate, and there's, just, there's no source of living uh, water anywhere to be found. And so you just can't possibly trek deep into the Sahara Desert and ever make it through. And so what he's saying here is, he's like, listen, I know it's like as if I'm calling you to walk through a desert, and you look at God and you say, God, there is no way I can get from here to there because it seems like as if it's like walking through a desert to become the kind of person you want me to be. And so he says, no, I can make a way through the wasteland, through the desert. And he says, why? Because I can make streams in that wasteland. So in other words, I can put water where there is no water to give you a source of life to be able to make it through a place and a path that you don't think you could possibly go. And by the way, it's, it's really interesting, the parallelism here is this follows right after, if you go back just into, the, I think it's verse 16 or 17, uh, where God refers back to when he made dry land in the middle of the sea. And so he's, just, he's like, listen, I can take the ocean floor and make it as dry as a desert, and I can take the desert and I can put water there. So don't tell me, don't come at me and tell me what I can't do in your life. Because you look at this and say, there's no way that we could walk on dry ground through the desert floor. I mean, even if, like, because I used to have this picture, like, whenever, like, God parted the seas, that they still walked through it. Like, you ever, like, been out on the, on the ocean at, like, low tide, and it's still kind of wet to the touch? And he says, what they were amazed at is the fact that it was dry ground. They could pull wagons through it. It was solid and hard enough that it was, like, dry ground they could just drive right along. He says, in the same way that I can make dry ground on the ocean floor, 
I can make streams in a wasteland, so what is it that you think I can't do in your life? And I know you're looking at your situation right now, and how many times have you looked at your life and said, but God, there's just no way. You know God laughs when you says that? Somewhere between laugh and somewhere between... <sighs> do you not know anything about me? Have you not like looked, studied anything about me? Um, the number of times I've had people look at me and say, there is no way God could ever use me. There is no way God could ever love me. There is no way God could ever forgive me. And I look at them, I'm like, listen, when you come at me and say, there's no way that God could love you, you know, like you say, oh, if you only knew the things I've done. I'm like, well, if you only read your Bible, if you only knew the people that God has used. I mean, the whole book is just full of people far worse than you could ever imagine. Uh, I mean, you've got adulterers and murderers and liars and deceivers and lepers and prostitutes. You've got religious zealots. You've got political zealots all along the path. And Jesus even called many of them to be a part of his like, inner circle, his closest followers, uh, to the point where people looked at him and said, how on earth could those people be following after Jesus? That's who he was. And he did that all as an example to you and to me. Now, what's really odd is although you might never think of yourself as a religious judgmental type, and you may not like the religious judgmental type, and you sort of have this picture of them, and you're like, yeah, that's kind of what's kept me away from church for all these years. What's really crazy is it seems like as if somewhere deep within the recesses of your brain, you are a religious judgmental type, at least when it comes to how you talk to yourself, right? You remember that moment, there's a scene in Luke chapter 7 <coughs> where this prostitute comes like barging in to this Pharisee's house where Jesus is there and she cracks open this jar of perfume and she starts washing his feet with her hair. And the religious judgmental Pharisee guy says something that I hear a lot of y'all say, the exact same thing he says. And here's what he says. If you knew what kind of woman this was, you'd know she was a sinner. In other words, you'd know she's not somebody who could have a relationship with you. And it's really interesting how many times our own voice inside our head, somewhere within us is this judgmental religious zealot that's preaching to us, somewhere within. We would never call ourselves that, but yet somehow we're talking like that. If they only knew who I was, they wouldn't want me here. They wouldn't accept me here. They wouldn't invite me here. They wouldn't tell me that I could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't accept me because there's just no way. And God's coming back. He's like, no, no, no. I make... I make a way through the desert. I put streams in a wasteland. I put dry ground in the middle of the ocean. You know, I, 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 I use prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. That, that's, that's who I am. That's, that's what I do. And, and you may long to move out of the winter season of your life and the difficult times that you've gone through. You may long to someday have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. You may long to, to one day really let your past be in your past and to not dwell in your past and to move on from your past and not be associated with your past. You may long for that to be who you are and what you become, but you'll never step foot inside what God has for you until you can believe and accept he loves you as you are that he can use you just as you are, you, until you get to that point. See, aloha is about saying hello to the future God has for you as well as saying goodbye to the person you once were. 
That's why I just love this, this concept of aloha because it just summarizes up the Christian experience. It, it is saying hello to who God says I am and who I am in him, and it's also saying goodbye to who I once was. And you see this again and again over in uh, the, uh, the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, but the new has come. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. I remember there was several years back, I was studying through this passage about what it means to be in Christ. And all my life, I always focused on the, the, the future part of being in Christ because what I you know, long for, that's what we talk about in here. Uh, this life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that you might enjoy for all eternity. So when you are in Christ, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it means that your future is now in Christ, that you have a future that will forever be with him, that you will live with him and you'll hang out with him. Uh, he says he's going to prepare a mansion for you. It's really exciting, all this stuff. It's always focused on the future because I, I, I always, you know, just that's where we, we, we focus. We want to go to where God has, is bringing us. But to be in Christ doesn't just mean you have a new future. It also means that you have a new past. And, and remember the, the day that that finally hit me and sort of thought it this way is, if you've ever had to move, there's a lot of difficult, frustrating things about moving, but probably the worst of all of it is whether you're applying for a lease or a loan, it's the credit check, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, even, even those of y'all out there that, like, that we look at like, ah, oh, it probably ain't hard for you, even you still fear the credit check, right? Because you don't have a clue how that thing's it come up with, right? You have no idea. You could be like, uh, like I was trying to think of like somebody who has a perfect credit score, but there's no way you could possibly know. Like, I've known some of the most anal accountants who, like, never miss a darn thing who, who still are only, like, at 750, right? They, they cannot, like, how do you ever even get an 850 credit score? You just, just can't. So it doesn't, even if, you're, even if you think you're really good, you still fear that credit check. And for the rest of us, that's, like, the worst part, isn't it? Because, like, you walk in, and you, like, put on a good show, and they're like, okay, we just, we just need to get full of information so we can do a credit check. And instantly you're like, ugh. Right? Now, <clears throat> picture, if you will, all of your past sin is done like a credit score. Right? Like the little things, that's like a late payment. That's like a 30 days late. You got some other things you might classify as a 60 days late. You got some other things that would be like full delinquents, right? That some stuff that's been sent to collections some things that people are still coming after you for, for things that you did. And then you got some like full-blown bankruptcies, right? Like that just seem to linger there for a long time and don't ever seem to leave and you can't seem to shake. And when people like ask you about your life, it's almost like as if that becomes an identifier to you. It's like, it's like they're going to do a credit check, but like in addition to the credit check, they always ask you that question like, so do you have any bankruptcies? Because you know, that might get erased after seven years, but we want to ask you under oath to go back past those seven years so you can fess up to who you really are, right? And that's what your credit check's really doing. It's showing you who you really are and who you really have been in the past. And they're getting sort of this look into your life. So just picture if your sin was like listed as a credit score. What's your credit score going to be? Hmm. 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 But now picture if your credit score has been swapped with that of Jesus Christ. And like when they do your little thing, like wouldn't it be cool like when you went to like apply for an apartment after you couldn't pay rent at your last one and they do your credit check and all of a sudden like, I don't know, Jeff Bezos' credit score shows up for yours. <laughs> right? 
like somebody's got some computer skills and flip that around. That's exactly what God is saying he does for us in Christ, is he takes your past history, your past sin history, and he swaps it with that of Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden, now instead of seeing your 350, 200, some of you in here, maybe you think you got like up into the 600s, I don't know what it is, and all of a sudden it comes back 850. That's actually a perfect credit score. I had to look it up. I didn't know. Um, <laughs> never dinged on mine. Um, <laughs> but just picture, if you will, in that moment, like they come back and they go, wow, I, 850, my goodness. All right, well, you take your pick. Low interest rate. As a matter of fact, we won't even charge you. We're just happy you're here at the bank, right? <laughs> we, we want you here. You're just going to bring everybody else's average up. When you are in Christ, that's, that's exactly what happens with your sin history is, is your history becomes his history and, his hist- and your history gets put on Christ and he pays for it there on the cross. That's, that's what happened in that exchange. When you become in Christ, you are a new creation with a new past, with, with a new sin credit score because it all gets washed away. It all gets put in him. How is it that God could, could bring you? How is it that you could get, how could you finance the kind of mansion God's creating for you in heaven? Not on your credit score. No, on his. He walks right and says, take your pick. This is, this is this, everything I have is yours because he begins to see you in, your, in, in, in that past. Now, he goes on after this to say, like, you know, when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, as new has come. He then goes on and it says this. He says, and all of this is from God who's reconciled us to himself through Christ. In other words, like how is it we could possibly live with him forever for all eternity? He's reconciled your past debts through Christ. It's all been reconciled through him. Like when you do accounting, that's reconciliation. You're sort of making, you're sort of like accounting for all of the debts and all of the, the financial issues. You're, you're accounting for that somehow. How, how does God account for all of my debts? Well, he does that through Christ on the cross, that he paid every single one of your debts. Just imagine every single one. Like you look back and you're like, no, 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 there's no way I got an 850. I know, I know I got some bad paper in there. And like, no, it's showing paid in full, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. Why? It's all been reconciled in Christ. And he says, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he's taking you and everything he's done in you, and he says, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I want you to have now the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? He goes on to tell us. He says that God's reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. So he's not holding you accountable for your past because all of that's been given to Christ and Christ has paid for all of that, so he's not holding you accountable for that. And then he goes on and he says, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. You're like, well, well, how's that? What's this look like? He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What's he mean by that? God's making his appeal through us. What he's basically saying is, I want to take you and I want you to be like the poster child of grace. That's what I want. I I want to basically hold you up. He says, I'm going to make my appeal through you. Because there's so many other people who would look at God and say, there's no way God could possibly love me. But but he he wants you to be able to say, no, 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 but he loved me. And and if if you dare share them why, you would say that. See, because I know what happens. I've been in your situation. You come into church and you look around the room and you see a room full of like perfect people, right? You watch them worship. They all got into it and you're like, I don't know. I just can't seem to 
get into it like that. I mean, maybe if I lived the kind of life, maybe if I, maybe I had a kind of life that they have, because, you know, clearly they've had a better life than I've had. Clearly they haven't had it as hard as I have. Clearly they haven't made as many bad decisions as I have. Clearly they've been faithful to their spouse. Clearly they haven't turned to drugs, alcohol, porn, whatever else, you know, deal with their problems like I have. Clearly they've been kind of going down a better path than I have. And that's why they can sit here and they can sing these songs about Jesus. That's why they can, you know, wear these shirts about getting baptized. That's why they have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts for all eternity. But I don't, know what, I, don't, I don't know if there's any hope for me. I just came because I got invited. I want to see if maybe there's some possibility. I don't know. Maybe I can earn my way out of this. I, I've been there. I've had those thoughts, looked around the room and thought those kind of things. Lest you think that's what church is, realize every one of us is a poster child for grace. Sometimes I refer to CR as being like real church. And it's not because I'm dissing what we do on a Sunday morning. It's just that at CR, everybody who's in leadership at CR, part of the contract you sign verbally or in ink, I don't know the way that's done, but part of the agreement basically is to say, if I'm going to be in leadership, I'm willing to be a poster child, right? It's where I get up and I share my testimony, and every time I get, and beyond just sharing my testimony, every time I stand up, I share my testimony, and this poster child looks like this. Hi, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anger, uh, codependency, and depression. Uh, and my name is Steve. Hey, Steve. Yeah. That's how you begin. You're basically saying, I am a poster child of grace. I can celebrate recovery from the things I've struggled with because this is who I really am. These are the things I've dealt with. Nobody walks into that room and says, well, I've got it perfect. And maybe, just maybe, if you really try hard, maybe you can have my kind of life. <laughs> no. I remember even when we first launched CR, we had a consultant share with us, like, well, I don't know if your pastor should really ever speak at CR. And Mike's like, why? He's like, well, you know, because like the pastors, you know, they're typically not people who are struggling with things. And, and he goes on this whole thing and Mike's like, I don't know about your church. Our pastors are jacked up enough, they well qualify. <laughs> It's true. It really is, right? God's picture, his hope for you is that like, Paul, Paul, who's writing this, this is what he says about his life. He says, I'm a poster child for grace. Over in, And when he's writing to Timothy, Timothy's a pastor. He's like, listen, don't be afraid to be a poster child for grace. He says, because he's, this is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the poster child for this. So don't come in here and think that everybody else around you is perfect and they got everything worked out. I'm a poster child of grace. I got all kinds of issues. And even though you now have a relationship with Jesus Christ, are there still parts about your past that embarrass you? That you don't want anybody to know? Yeah, we all do. And, and those are the things you want to keep pressed down and keep secret. And, and, it's, and it's really hard because you, everybody has this question or sense, like, could people really love me if they knew who I was? Could people actually trust me for, for service or for a leadership role if they knew who I, who I really am or once was or what I've struggled with or where I've been in the past? Could they really do that? And it's what, we say, what we're saying is we struggle to believe, number one, that God could love us, but secondly, that God's people could love us. And that's a really hard thing. I mean, I stand before you, I'm embarrassed of the fact that I've, got, I've been divorced. I mean, I, I, I am. I don't even like to talk about it. It's just, it's one of those pieces that's just like, 
Like, I, I have, you ever have those moments where you go, how did I get here in life? <laughs> like, seriously, how did I get here? What, what, how did I end up in this place? But God comes in and he says, no, no, no. Just know that I've redeemed you. And I don't see you through the lens you're seeing yourself. You might see yourself like that Pharisee saw the prostitute. How could God love someone like you if you really knew the kind of person she was? Don't focus on the Pharisee, focus on Jesus in that story. He just looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. He looks at the Pharisee and says, I wish you were more like her. You know, yeah, she loves much, but the reason why she loves me so much is because of how much she's been forgiven. Which goes back to that person you saw kind of crazy worshiping earlier. The reason why they were really getting into it it wasn't because they'd lived such a perfect life. It was the exact opposite. See, because the one who, who, who's been forgiven much loves much. That's why I always say young love just cannot possibly compare to the 50-year anniversary. It just can't. People have been together that long. They've got a love that's deeper than anything you could ever possibly imagine at age 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. They just do. They've hurt each other very deeply over the years. And they're still standing next to each other. And there's people you see in this room and they're just a poster child of grace. That's all they are. And they have this loving relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity because they recognize and realize how much God loves them and what he's done to forgive them. And, you know, this evening we're going to be celebrating baptism. That's where people are going to be coming out and going out in the waters and getting baptized. And the reason why they're going to get baptized is because part of their testimony is I once was lost, but now I am found. That this is who I once was. And I don't know if anything mystical is going to happen in the moment that they get baptized. But I can tell you this, is there's something new happening in them. And some of you may come and you might look at somebody, maybe they're a relative or a family member, you look at them and go, he ain't changed. I'm not buying it. They got some religion, Jesus, whatever. Mm -mm, mm -mm. That's because everything that's planted, you can't see when something new has begun. So if other people around you can't see the new work that God's doing within you, it's okay. Sometimes you won't even be able to see it yourself. Sometimes it'll take a while for that to grow out and for it to form. And it goes on in here as he continues out in 2 Corinthians. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, you know, make, you know, get, get a right relationship with God because you looked at the poster child. He says, because God made him who had no sin uh, to be sin for us so that in him we might, this word here, become the righteousness of God. Next week we're going to focus in on this, this idea of becoming and the process of becoming. And it is a process. It is just like growth and growth is a slow process. And so if you come to baptism tonight, don't expect that they're going to come up out of the water shining and glowing, you know, like those people from Cocoon or something like that. That's <laughs> no, it, it's that God's been planted within them. And they're now in a process of growing and becoming and realizing this new creation they are in Christ. And over time, you'll begin to see they become a poster child for grace. That when they have truly have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts for all eternity, over time begins, 
how long does it take for the fruit to come out of a tree that was just planted yesterday? It's going to take a while. But someday you'll be able to enjoy the fruit of what you see being planted here tonight at baptism. And if you haven't made that choice to, public, to go public at baptism, I'd encourage you to do it. It's, it's not too late. You can still do that. Uh, you can sign up you know, right now. You can do that somehow. Uh, <laughs> when Chris does the announcements, he'll share with you exactly how to do it. Um, <laughs> see, I shared a couple weeks ago how to do it. Then I was told afterwards, no, 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 Steve, that wasn't how to do it. Now I'm getting emails I shouldn't be getting. There's worse emails to get besides somebody says they want to have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's after all, that's why we're here. That's a pastor's get-out-of-jail-free card. But Pastor Chris will share with you how you can, can do that, or maybe it'd be Pastor Mike. It'll be somebody up here giving announcements. I don't know anything. Um, as we close out, though, uh, I just want to have a time of prayer. But while we pray, I just um, I want to re- I want you to just kind of have some time where you just sort of meditate on some of the scriptures about that we've read this morning and just sort of let them sink in because it's hard to perceive the new work that God is doing in you. And so as I pray, I'm just going to have some time where there'll be some silence um, just as I read some scripture to you. I'm asking if, I, if Jonathan or whoever come back, come up here while I'm, while I'm praying um, and just allow the reality of the new creation that God is at work in you just to sort of sink in. And for others of you in this room who, who aren't sure if God could really love you because of what you've done and who you've been, I just want you to know that these are passages that are being spoken to people who are just like you and in the same place as you. And the reason why they're in here is because people doubted and questioned, could God really love somebody like me? Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, that uh, every one of us comes before you as a sinner in need of grace. Father, may the past that we want to run from and are embarrassed of be the very thing that you use to make us an ambassador and a spokesperson and a poster child for you. Father, may just the reality and the truth of what you said to people long ago in Isaiah come into our hearts, Father, we might forget the former things. Father, whatever is coming to mind right now as this passage is being read, do not dwell on the past. Father, may may those things be something that you just, you take, Father, we just offer them up to you. Father, get that image out of my head. Get that reminder out of my head. For the old has gone, but the new has come. Father, I'm reminded of what John says when he's standing before you in the book of Revelation. He says, He who was seated on the throne at the culmination of all things, at the end of time. As we're standing there before you on the edge of eternity, this word comes out from the throne that says, Behold, I am making everything new.
write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Father, may this be written on our soul, written on our hearts, that you are making everything new. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.